Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the DLC Drop Podcast. Today it's my pleasure to welcome my good friend Justin Varghese. Justin has worked all throughout the esports ecosystem and now manages sales, marketing, and partnerships for Panda Global, which is a fighting game esports org. He's going to share tons of insights on how brands can effectively reach esports fans. Let's talk to Justin. Drop in the untold stories of industry leaders, influencers, and insights on future innovation. I'm John Davidson, and this is the, the DLC, DLC Drop, Drop Podcast. Podcast. All right, Justin Varghese, welcome to the DLC Drop Podcast. It's a pleasure to have you. Thanks for having me. It's I, I've seen on LinkedIn constantly you putting these out. So when I got the call to actually be on one, I was very excited to say the least. So yeah. thank you so much for having me on. My pleasure. I, I like the term constantly there with my <laughs> LinkedIn content. I think I'll... I'll use that to describe my, yeah. my content strategies. Nothing but constant. consistent. Nothing but con- constant, consistent. It's we basically try. the same. We got the same thing. Absolutely. <laughs> well, and I, I, I think the best episodes are in person just because there's the energy of being in person. It's, you know, it's great to have people from around the world. But if I can get somebody in person, it's great. And I would also say for the audience, last time I saw you in person, was randomly in Mexico. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that that was that was very wild to say the least. I had gone to Puerto Vallarta on vacation, and for folks who have never been to Puerto Vallarta, if you want to do an Uber there, there is no designated Uber area within the airport. You have to ca- cross a sky bridge and go next to this one small taco shop that's known for swordfish tacos, and only there can you call the Uber. So lo and behold, I had made the long trek across one sky bridge and then immediately back because it was the wrong one found myself next to this taco shop and behind me i hear a voice say justin <laughs> and it's you it what was. yeah my good friend joseph alexander was getting married he was kind enough to include me in the wedding party and so yeah i flew out to Puerto Vallarta by myself <laughs> I'm trying not to wind up somewhere I don't want to wind up. And I'm like, I got to go across this bridge. <laughs> and then the Uber will meet me there. Oh, the stock is smell good. And then I look and I'm like, Justin? <laughs> <laughs> and there we were. And we yeah. had a great vacation separately. We Very did not separate. vacation together. No, no. Yeah. We, we were... Uh... Yeah, it's like it's like I only saw you in front of that taco shop and then never again, which I guess makes sense because you spent all your time at I'm assuming at the resort for yes. your friend's wedding. All inclusive. Right. Yep. Very Yeah, the, you got no reason to leave at that point. You the know? infinity pool ooh. was my friend. Ooh, ooh. You know? Yeah, but yeah. It was not all inclusive on our side. But Puerto Vallarta, I'm gonna talk to you directly to the camera here. Puerto Vallarta. Awesome food scene. Make it happen. Agreed. <laughs> well, I I did not bring you here to talk about Puerto Vallarta. Ah, oh, dang. But I did bring you here to talk about esports and marketing. And so today you are currently, you handle sales, partnerships, and marketing for Panda Global. Tell us about Panda because Panda is a little bit of a different org than, say, sure. Envy or these other ones that we're mostly familiar with. Yeah, I... I think Panda is, is a very, very unique organization, to say the least. Um, anybody that knows me knows that I've, I've said for a long time I'm very bullish uh, on esports as a whole, mm-hmm. but very bearish on 99% of the teams that are out there. There's only a, a small handful of teams that I feel like I'd ever want to work for that I even believe in, honestly, in regards to what their strategy looks like. And Panda is on that very short list. So... Let me stop you there for really quick. What makes you bearish about others and bullish about Panda? Oh, man. (laughs) We're getting spicy. (laughs) We're getting into deep waters right away. Yeah, I I, I think that, you know, the the problem with a lot of other teams is that they have very high burn with very low amounts or, or, or... processes and, and and revenue streams essentially right mm-hmm. i mean when you look at teams of all sizes it's very clear that they have very big problems whenever it comes to accruing revenue from sponsors you'll hear the 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 win every now and then where hey we ink this non-endemic brand for one year and then you could count on one hand the number that come back year over year, time over time. Oh, yeah. And then, you know, even if we're looking at something like a per fan capitalization perspective, mm-hmm. on that level, you can look at the data yourself. It's pretty abysmal for most of the teams that are out there, right? Mm. I think the way that they are approaching the fan 
engagement perspective of things is a little bit wonky. Okay. In my in my honest opinion. Sure. I think that and and I don't really feel like anything I'm saying is particularly too spicy of a take. I think that if you talk to most leaders at most of these teams, they'll agree that these are areas where they need to improve on. Yeah. And overall, when we talk about like the grand spectrum of things, I think that for as engaging and interactive of a medium as gaming is, mm-hmm. it is very disappointing to me as somebody who works in partnerships to see a lot of these partnerships being anything but that, mm. you know? Yeah. Like it feels like the reason why brands are all of a sudden very interested in gaming is that it's not the NFL, right? Yeah. It's well, where the the eyeballs of youth are. Exactly. Exactly. But I feel like, you know, it's it's a little bit on us as partnerships people to educate and do our due diligence with the brand rather than quickly taking the the easy money, if you will, yeah. to make it so we can create really cool, compelling activations together mm-hmm. that get them to not only sign for year one, but stay on board for year five and belong Absolutely. And, and beyond, right? And and again, like that's, I think, what, what intrigued me about Panda anyways, right? Very different to some of the higher costs and burn that's associated with a lot of these teams. Panda doesn't really have that, right? They're not paying out the wazoo for franchise fees because the spaces that they operate in are the 1v1 esports space, which is primarily grassroots. The DLC Drop podcast is sponsored by iShaker. I've been a huge fan of this brand for the past few years, ever since I met founder Chris Gronkowski. What I love about this product is the brand story, the functionality, and the customization. iShaker is a Shark Tank company invested in by Mark Cuban and Alex Rodriguez, owned by NFL players Rob Gronkowski and Chris Gronkowski. I love using my ice shaker anytime I'm driving to the podcast studio, I'm going skateboarding, or I'm at the gym. No matter what I'm doing, it just does a great job of keeping my drinks hot or cold. The customization for ice shaker is something that's super unique. You can get any name, just about any logo engraved onto your ice shaker and delivered to you within just three to five business days. Get your own DLC Drop branded ice shaker at iceshaker.com forward slash DLC Drop. Save 20% on all ice shaker products with the discount code DLC Drop. So you have less pressure to, to need dollars immediately because your overhead is lower, yeah. not having these high franchise fees. Yes, okay. and, and what that allows you to do is be very creative with the ways you can redeploy that capital. Right. So when I think about a lot of other teams that have a very wide scope, I mean, mm-hmm. some some of these orgs do a phenomenal job of just casting a very wide net. You know, they have a sure. little bit in everything. Uh-huh. But what attracted me to Panda is the fact that they are very narrow in their focus, right? 1v1. Yeah. So that's games like Smash Brothers, Street Fighter, Guilty Gear, even chess. Uh-huh. But what they're able to do for those communities, because they have this extra capital available, is not just take part but actively contribute and better the ecosystems that mm. these communities are part of so you know yeah. what what does that mean right, right. that's a, that's a that's an awesome buzzword i guess that you can Wait, use for I'm like a, a sound bite justin but. what does that mean <laughs> <laughs> no but but what it means is you know as a team we're not just viewing things as this is our team that competes in these games would you like to be part of our jersey right we're right. looking at things from a very different lens. It, mm-hmm. it means we're creating technology that makes it so that you can better understand the game itself. It means mm-hmm. that we're being able to, you know, take big, huge, unorganized clusters of data and make it so it makes sense so that people have a better understanding in regards to everything from their matchup win rates to mm-hmm. uh, upsets, etc. right? We're fundamentally changing, I think, the way that the game can be portrayed. And as a result, we're also opening up new avenues for partners to come in yeah. while also creating new opportunities for fans to be able to take a look at their favorite game in a completely different lens. And as a result of that, consume new kinds of content as well. One of the things that I'm really proud of that we started doing is um, we have a partnership from a content perspective with Red Bull to create a bunch of white label content cool. for them that's tied around using data and analysis, marrying it with storytelling to create these very interesting, compelling pieces about legends in the fighting game, in the wow. fighting game space. And so Super cool. one of the, the pieces that we did was on Daigo. 
Yep. It was the first piece that we worked on. It was shortly after I joined. And that piece was released and to this day is one of Red Bull's most successful gaming content pieces ever, wow. right? It was half a million um, organic views on YouTube, which is great, yeah. you know? And as a result of that, we're doing, we just put out our press release on this. We're actually doing a lot more content pieces for them. Yeah. And it's exciting because those kinds of pieces are made possible because of the data and analytics that our team is able to uncover, mm. uh, married with the storytelling chops that our team has, has made yeah. over, over the past year in particular. So wax poetic about a whole bunch of stuff. But again, I think that, that when it comes to Panda, the model is totally different, right? I mm -hmm. think everybody else is going left and we're going, you know, not even going right, right? It's it's, it's a totally different plane. And to me, yeah. that's what's very exciting personally. Well, I think there's a lot of great business lessons in that, right? Because number one is how do you differentiate yourself is a pretty essential business lesson. You know, you zig when others zag, for example. Another is it can be very tempting to want to please everybody. Right. And so you're like, I got to be in every game or I need <laughs> all of these, you know, different demographics. And but one of the greatest strategies in business is to be the best in the world at the one thing. And then as demand comes, you evaluate where does it make sense for me to branch off to. Right. And so instead of being a mile wide and an inch deep, you're an inch wide and a mile deep. Exactly. And you can say if you want to be in fighting games, we're the one. Yeah. Or and I'm sure that there's other types of pitches. Do you think that because one thing that is challenging for uh, brands or brand marketers who don't understand gaming and just know they need to be in it is they don't understand the games. Fighting games are very clearly obvious of what's going on. Do you think that helps you at all when you're approaching a brand that like the person feels comfortable that they're not trying to watch Dota or League of Legends and they're watching two characters square off? That's such a good question. And it's a, it's a conversation I was having with a coworker this morning, right? I think on one hand, getting somebody educated, because all of this game is all an education game, really, at the end yes. of the day, right? Uh -huh. it's, yeah. I, I mean, you, I, I feel like I'm preaching to the choir here, right? You do this on the daily. Mm -hmm. So you understand that it's all education. Yeah. I think that because the games that Panda operates in, despite the fact that they are games that have stood the test of time, you know, 20 plus years sure. with active, vibrant communities, um, you know, they don't have the same lip service, especially from a, from a publisher developer standpoint, the way that maybe a Riot would with a League of Legends. Okay. Right, they don't necessarily have that same oomph for a non-endemic when they read about Booga winning thirty million dollars at the Fortnite World exactly. Cup. Exactly. Right? Well, that was a question but, I was thinking because I'm like, if I'm head of partnerships for League of Legends or for Riot more broadly, I'm like, League and Valorant. Let me tell you, the reach, the globalization, sure. all of the things. Yeah, it's 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 one of those things where in the business circles, especially because of how much capital has been thrown there. Yeah. Um, I think the education from an upfront standpoint, the burden is definitely greater, I think, on our side at Panda because yeah. it's more than just gaming. You know, when you say esports, there's it's a miracle sometimes for some of the non-endemic brands. There's like, oh, esports, you mean like Ninja? It's like, well, no, not quite. Let's wind that back a little bit, you know. But if you're selling something like Fortnite, then it's like, oh, yeah, I mean, he's one of the people that is a well-known content creator within this space. Yep. For us, it's like, let's take several steps back yeah. and let's talk about, you know, maybe something you didn't read in a Forbes article. And then we have to, you know, convince during that, that, that pitch, essentially, like, here's why this thing you probably haven't heard that much about, why it actually matters and why you should be hearing about it and will be hearing a lot more about in the future. Yeah. And I think that the way that results overall for us is while... It might be a little bit harder at the top of the pipeline whenever it comes to bringing in new folks immediately. Yeah. I mean, I think our retention is pretty monstrous, right? Like you think about a partner like Geico, for instance, mm -hmm. right? Non-endemic as they come. Heard of them. Yeah. And they've been partnered with Panda for going on six years now. Wow. And it's very hard for me to think about in the whole spectrum of esports. You can maybe count on one hand the number of partnerships that make it past year five, let alone year three. Sure. You know, especially a non-endem like that. And the reason why is because we're able to show them very clearly, like, look, you took a chance on this. You took a chance on this community. But once they're in, they get it right. They yeah. see just how engaged they are. They see the diversity. So it's a little bit easier, I think, on the retention side as a result of that. Mm -hmm. You know? Yeah. I think another business lesson is it's a lot easier to keep a customer than it is to get a f or less expensive for sure. Yes. And so 
what we see historically with esports teams is number one, all these statistics are a little overblown. I would say rosy colored glasses. I would optimistic, say lacking context. Sure, <laughs> right. I remember when I was at GameStop, I'm looking at all these reports coming out, and it's like, okay, we're digital. We're dealing with a digital ecosystem, which means everything can be measured, right? And I can't get a number for North North America. Like every number is global. And it's like if available statistics are not available, there's a reason. Yeah. Right? And so it's it's very different going to uh, a CMO and saying 500 million gamers or going down to North America or their DMA and saying Call of Duty or Overwatch sure. or whatever. Right? And so what happens is you get somebody to pay for a partnership, but then there's a struggle to report back, yeah. to activate with excellence, yep. to maximize that partnership. I think a lot of that just has to do with people who don't have a ton of experience. There's nothing mm. wrong with that, right? I mean, it's there's something wrong with an industry that struggles there, but there, that critique isn't like throwing shade. It's simply there's no substitute for years of experience. Oh, I agree. And people with experience rarely understand gaming because they're older it's a different just a whole different vibe different structure everything and then you have people who get it but they just have not activated partnerships for a very long time yeah and so you get these these people sign on and then they leave because it's like wait a minute this isn't the thing that i thought it was so you're doing a lot of education how are you articulating like the realistic opportunity with Panda specifically. I mean, as a partnerships team, we have a motto and that's under promise, over deliver. Mm -hmm. I think that, you know, there are uh, bad actors within this space that throw a lot of smoke and mirrors um, and they use bad data to convince people with money to to take a chance on them. And then lo and behold, there's blowback, whatever. They're not even able to, to hit a fraction of what they promised, more yeah. or less, you know? And we never want to be in that position because like you said, it really does cost a lot more to bring on a new partner versus mm-hmm. keeping somebody happy and growing that partnership over time. Mm-hmm. Um, as we're having the conversation, like we have no problem showing what the metrics look like. In fact, we very well, we're very open to it because that helps us like further cement our case. You know, I, I'd yeah. say that because Panda is one of those teams that's growing so much, right? Uh-huh. And um, it doesn't necessarily have like that that VC-backed name recognition, mm-hmm. right? That maybe some of these other teams do. Sure. We do have to go that extra mile in regards to opening our books and proving who we are. But the good news is when you do that, you can see that, oh, wow, on engagement, you know, Panda's absolutely crushing. Like, is, wow. I love to use it as a metric that the gold standard in esports for engagement on Twitter, as an example, is 1%. Mm. And so when Panda, like, regularly hits 5% engagement on Twitter, it's like, cool, wow. we're 5Xing without even trying at that point. Yeah. And then having that continue to, to show up again and again in other elements of our team, like... YouTube content, for instance, right? Uh-huh. The fact that we created a fighting games channel less than a year ago and it's already outplacing very established teams' YouTube channels wow. is very funny, you know? Yeah. But but we but I bring all this up, you know, not to flex, but to show that like we have to show the numbers, mm-hmm. right? We yeah. have to quantify time and time again so that people understand like it's not spoken mirrors, you know, even if this isn't a team that you you maybe have that much familiarity with here's why it matters and here's why it's actually going to be very top of mind moving forward yeah i find that just like as humans in general we do what we have to do sure right and so if we have the luxury of the big following which i mean to give those teams credit they did build those following so kudos to them for having the huge following but if you're bringing in partnerships just by saying look at the the twitter account (laughs) you know look at our content creators etc you're it's easy to get lazy you could say and it sounds to me like because you guys have to try a little harder because of you're not the the household name currently that you deliver and then that works yeah. to get people in because you are delivering absolutely yeah absolutely it makes it an easy sale in yeah. the long term a hundred percent and you know going back to what you said earlier right yeah you know, I, I think that the, with panda in particular 
something that you and I definitely agree on is that it's not a brand necessarily that's the best fit for every single person, yeah, right? Or I think that it's one of those brands that is an amazing fit for the right kinds of partners. And uh-huh. those are the kinds of partners that our team wants to work with, right? Like yeah. I think that, you know, one of the X factors beyond the, the ways that Pan is doing things differently, something that maybe doesn't come come together when you look at just the data itself. Something that I think is very valuable is the fact that Panda, because of the role that it plays within these communities that it operates in, has built an unbelievable amount of community equity, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, and ultimately, it's led us to do very cool things. Like whenever we had launched that controller, you know, we hit our Kickstarter goals in less than an hour for that, right? Wow. Because the community believes in us so much. And ultimately, yeah. what we are looking to do is not just have a conversation that's, oh, you know, join Panda, you'll get this many eyeballs. I mean, that's right. part of it for sure. But like, yeah. the, I think the X factor beyond that is also the fact that like, we have built this community equity. Any partner that we bring on, we want to go the extra mile and tell our community why it matters so that we can mm-hmm. leverage our community equity to have them buy further into your brand, you know? That's right. Well, and you also don't want to betray the trust of the community yes. who's entrusted that with you. Absolutely. And so I find that when I talk to brands, I always say the experience of the community have to be better as a result of your brand being part of this than before your brand was involved. Yes. And I think what you're saying is a lot of why you, you have this super high level of engagement and trust from the community is because you as Panda have supported this industry yep. for a very long time. I do want to get into a little bit about how FGC is a little bit different, <laughs> Very different. than the rest. and Because it is consistent with what you're saying of you guys have supported this almost a subsection of this subculture, right? Yeah. And there's even a debate a little bit about, is, is FGC esports? I mean, it's the it's the birthplace of it. Right. Let's be honest, right? Yeah. Like, get I mean, into it. Let's hear it. So, yeah. Like, I mean, FGC, fighting in community for folks who, who maybe aren't indoctrinated. Um, <laughs> When I think about competitive gaming, I think it really started there, right? Yeah. Because if you think about arcades, yep. you know, one of the first head-to-head games ever was Street Fighter. That's right. right? That's a fighting game. Yep. It's the first time you got to, you know, put your quarters next to somebody else and see who was better. Oh yeah. And it's a community that has again stood the test of time. It's been here for decades. Right. And a lot for a majority of that time it's been without any publisher or developer support are limited. Mm. Now, the wins are changing on that, right? More and more yeah. publishers and developers are recognizing that this is a huge opportunity. And as a result, you know, we've seen really cool moves being made. One yeah. thing I gotta gotta definitely give a shout out to is, you know, Capcom, for instance, they were able to put on the Street Fighter League and they brought on Arby's as a partner for that, right? Yeah. And it worked out because Street Fighter term is meaties. Yeah. And so Arby's, you know, we have the meat. Like, it was a perfect kind of synergy there, you know? Arby's also, I don't know if weirdly is the right word, but their social media oh, yeah. is, like, super gaming-focused. Yes. But none of, like, the rest of the brand is. In So, like, if, if you weren't on their social and you just saw their commercials, you'd be like, we have the meats, you know, and they've got yeah. these really funny commercials. But they've got this incredible marketing Amazing. going on on social. And I think they were, were they pouring, was it either Game Fuel or they had a gaming-specific soda <laughs> in, at least for a while, in the restaurants. Oh, that's cool. But it's funny because, like, somebody who's not super familiar with gaming or, or the marketing in the space would be like arby's that's random a sandwich <laughs> shop but if you know about it it's like oh yeah that makes perfect sense total sense and i, I think, love how the terminology crosses over there too oh uh, yeah I, I think the agency's moxie if i remember right that yeah. handles all that I think yeah you're right They're, they do awesome work they, they do. do awesome they're work incredible for sure yeah but but yeah you know i i definitely think that when it comes to fighting games They're the birthplace of esports, in my opinion, right? They are the birthplace of competition. They're the bedrock. Now, where there is, I think, a bit of a divide is, is the FGC part of esports? Does the the FGC even want to be part of esports, right? right? And to me, that's just like a weird definition kind of thing. Uh Ultimately, um, I think if we look at the fighting game community in particular, right, which is in my opinion, as somebody who's been to a lot of different esports events throughout the years, I think that the fighting, the energy from the fighting game community is just so unique. Mm. It is, from the 1v1 scene in general, it is so unique. It's infectious. What's different about it? I think that it's the fact that they have to prove themselves 
Mm. that they that you know what i mean like it i think it's 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 the fact that you you know when when you look at other scenes mo- for the most part most of these games are very exclusive yeah the people that can compete at the biggest tournament for Overwatch League for instance are yeah. invited teams rosters of you know five five or so players right whereas in fighting games you know the biggest tournament at the moment is Evo yeah that's an open entry tournament we could roll up we could roll up. Yeah. The fact that somebody listening to this podcast right now could hear this talk, buy a copy of Street Fighter, mm-hmm. show up at Evo, and then be paired against Daigo. Like, that's so cool when you yeah. think about it, right? Well, that's such a great opportunity for brands to really support the community, right? Yeah. Because a lot of times what will happen is a brand strategy accidentally only supports the player, the pro players. And there's nothing for the community but because that pipeline isn't there. Yes. But this is organically built in, and you can you can really say, hey, I'm going to help you compete at a higher level, like on a bigger stage, more often, have these opportunities. I think that is so strong for brands. Super cool, right? And yeah. again, it, it goes back to what I was saying. With gaming being such an interactive medium, mm-hmm. right, I think as a brand and also as a partnerships person, you kind of have to do everything in your power to make sure that you can engage as best as possible, right? Right. Get creative. Get a little out there. You know, try some weird stuff. Yeah. You know, gaming is the perfect conduit that for that for sure, you know? And I think that a lot of brands would be remiss if they didn't try to do some of the weird stuff because that's yeah. the stuff, in my opinion, that works very well that people talk about. What are some examples, one or two, of campaigns, specifically with non-endemics, that you've seen that you think were done really well? Hmm. Yeah, one that was interesting to me was back when I was at DreamHack, mm-hmm. I really liked how Chipotle activated off of Dallas and uh, I believe DreamHack Atlanta as well. Um, so they had this thing, it was, it was a two-fold activation, right? The first okay. a- set of the activation was kind of tied to your everyday audience, right? Okay. And that was the Chipotle Challenger series. And the idea was anybody at any time could come up and enter this free-to-enter tournament. Mm-hmm. Um, and the winner, after a weekend of competition, would get free Chipotle for a year, right? Super yeah. cool. Super. Um, they'd bring out some influencers. I believe for the Atlanta show, they brought out Courage to, to yep. present the trophy and things like that. So it was a very cool, cool way to engage with your everyday gamer that happened to be a dream hack in an authentic way. Right. But I really liked the fact that on top of that, uh-huh. They coupled it with a more more influencer focused activation simultaneously. So what they did was they bought out the catering contract of the venue, okay. and they turned our VIP lounge into the Chipotle VIP lounge. So okay. they basically yeah. put in like a, a Chipotle there where you could order Chipotle. They had all these really cool. comfy chairs, places where you could watch. So it was supposed to be an oasis for influencers, top players, uh-huh. talent, etc., to just relax. And it was mm. super cool because they didn't ask anybody. It wasn't like you had to tweet to like enter mm-hmm. or something like that. But it was one of those things where, like, because they did it, people would naturally just talk about it at a higher level, you know? Super and, smart. And it was, like, a nice way for the brand to essentially, like, build a lot of value and a stronger relationship with higher-level um, creators and, and influencers and players who yeah. would then ter- tell their followers. So you have, again, like, two different campaigns, but they work synonymously. Interesting. And, they, and the end goal, I thought, was very interesting because it's a little bit of experiential stuff that obviously has a digital component to it as well. And it also is experiential at an influencer level, which right. of course converts to traction on Twitter and things like that. So I like that one yeah. a lot. It's interesting. I like that you're um, essentially, you're giving people more opportunities to compete. You've got the, everybody loves to play anyway. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I cool, went there way too many times whenever I was a tree back. <laughs> yeah. You've got this cool option to a bunch of free stuff. You can order there on site, which is just kind of fun. Yeah. And then specifically with the influencers and the top pros, it's it's a unique experience. It's it's solving a pain point. I think that's one of one of the greatest activations at like big events. Yeah. Is what are the pain points? Like one easy one is we all need our phone charged. Yes. Another is nobody's got Wi Fi. So <laughs> it's a shout out to our, our mobile friends, like sponsor these events, provide some exactly. Wi Fi. But what are the other things that just like kind of suck about an experience that you can make it good or better as your brand providing that solution? I think that's pretty easy, but it's yeah. also very effective. 
Yeah, and and, and again, I think it differs event by event, right? Sure. Yeah. You know, for some events, like you said, it is just having an access to a charger. For other events, it's what are like what's like a comfy place that's within the arena, but like a little bit removed enough where I can still pay attention to the game, but relax a bit away from the hustle and bustle. Like, right. I think that once we get away from like booths and more into experiences, yeah, like that's when you're able to really open up a lot of possibility, right? Because then you're, it's no longer like, oh, here's a ten by ten. I guess you know put some kind of something in there yeah. and have somebody stand behind this tablecloth essentially and talk about your brand, right? But but yeah. what, as soon as you can get past that, right, mm-hmm. and create some sort of space where like people feel really excited and they kind of want to tinker and, and explore, like yeah. that's when you can make some real magic happen. Well, and then you could be on the walls of that event with user-generated content yes. where I always say, you know, when you can provide these unique experiences, it's it's like social currency, because people are going to have an opportunity to take that selfie and post it. They're getting validated by the likes. They're getting validated by their friends who aren't there, getting some FOMO. And your brand gave that to them. Yes. And so now they have a feel feeling of gratitude towards you to to embrace you. Exactly, man. Like the, you know, at the end of the day, if you can be the reason why somebody has a core memory that they cherish. Yeah. If you're like the reason why they they essentially have this ability, like the, I think the the loyalty that you get as a brand at that small level is massive. Absolutely. And then the fact that like you no longer have somebody who just buys your products but actively evangelizes them, like that totally shifts the game. You know? Yeah, you can't beat that. We we have a very skeptical audience here. Yes. Oh my gosh. <laughs> but what I tell people is like when you do it the right way. They're going to champion you in ways that nobody else will. Yeah. Because you help them do what they love doing more so. And I think that if, you know, if we have to go back to like the FGC, is it esports conversation, like skepticism is at the heart of that, right? You yeah. have a community that feels so tightly knit. Mm-hmm. And I think that the concern for a lot of them is like, oh, like we don't want to like lose like the flair that makes us. Yeah. we are right we, we'd hate to we'd hate to be in you know when they think esports they think like super buttoned up like very rigid structures etc and you know for i know for a lot of like thought leaders in this space like their end game like what they vision as the promised land for esports looks like a- an nfl looks like an nba but for me it looks more like a ufc or a wwe honestly right yeah. and under that model like that cannot exist if the fgc is drained of the flair it yeah. needs those personalities and ultimately that when i talk to people and especially to brands about the fgc like that's what i say time and time again is look at the interviews from somebody from a quote-unquote tier one esport juxtapose that with how people interact in the fgc and you'll know why it's a, a very different space immediately yeah. the energy is so different the people that are there are very it's different. unfiltered it's, exactly exactly that's one thing i really love about esports compared to traditional sports i roll my eyes a little bit right now the nba you know playoffs are going on and so it's like when you do the interview if the, let's say luka Doncic, dallas mavericks what's happening right now is the warriors are beating the crap out of the mavs and luka is dropping 40 points every game and he's not getting a lot of help and they're losing okay well if luca in this nba world if he says i'm not getting any help which is true and honest oh he's not a good leader and he you know and also if he's like the warriors suck and you know throwing a little trash then he's gonna be criticized for that as well and it's it's too filtered it's not real it's scripted Right. And it just kind of, it's like, what's the point of these interviews? One of the things I love about esports is the trash talk. Yes. Like, I like to talk a little trash myself. Anybody wants to come over, play some pool at my oh, house, yeah. you know, prepared I mean, to get whipped and hear about it while yeah. it's happening. But I, I just love the fact that these guys are on stage, they're calling each other out, and it's, it's not exactly PC all the time, but it's real. And I love that. And I think one of the concerns is that as the space grows, as these bigger brands get involved, they're like, you can't say that anymore. And then we've lost the thing that's made it so great. Exactly, exactly. And again, that's why I love looking at UFC, WWE as like an endgame model. Because ultimately, and even back when I was a caster, I'd say this a lot, right? Our job is to get people to care about pixels. Mm -hmm. And if you take players 
who may or may not have a vibrant personality and you lock them away in practice dungeons where they yeah. can't really interact with people, they can't build their own followings, etc. Yeah. You know, no wonder the end content of their interview is going to be sterilized and boring, right? Mm -hmm. Like you're taking what is ultimately one of your best assets and removing it off of the table. And again, like it goes back to what I was saying earlier where, you know, looking at Panda in particular, right? I think that if you're trying to appeal to every single brand in the world, right, Mm -hmm. then I don't feel like you can put out the best possible product you can, you know? Right. And I honestly, like when we're looking at like, fighting games and stuff it, it it's not about having infinite logos right it's mm-hmm. like okay like what are the handful of partners that you can work with how can you maximize ultimately what their investment is in you and mm-hmm. what they get as a result of that and how can you do that while doing well by the community as well right and and i have to clarify this as well right like i think that there are there's obviously a lot of opportunities in regards to things you can improve in in the fighting game space, mm-hmm. right? Sure. But that doesn't have to come at the cost of the personality and the soul that makes it unique. Right. That's perfectly said. You know, you're talking a lot about the education that has to happen around these these brands to bring in sponsors and stuff like that. I want to get your take on something. Part of that education is setting expectations properly. Yes. Oh my. Right. God. And so, how are you? with brands having these conversations and effectively setting expectations honest yeah yeah no that's what i'm saying that, and that's... what are they what are some of those expectations yeah well i i think that again like the biggest whenever i whenever we try to operate as a team right mm-hmm. especially from a partnerships perspective i will say that there the way panda works is that there is no gold silver bronze package or anything yeah. like that right mm-hmm. like we try to make things as customized as possible yep. so what that results in is us having to have a conversation directly with marketing decision makers in regards to what's important mm-hmm. what have you tried in the past well what's typically worked really well what mm-hmm. are things you want us to stay away from? What right. does the budget look like? Mm-hmm. I think when you have that kind of a conversation, it naturally leads to an open and honest environment between both parties, right? Yep. And there, from that early conversation is when you can level set. Right. There's too many times I've seen, especially I think it's most egregious probably in the influencer space where you'll have like some brands say, oh, with this amount of spend, you can get all these kinds of creators. And then after the contract is signed, it's like, well, here's actually who you can get, right? And, and we, we see it all the time. And you'll have like, you know, the poor agencies that come back to you is like, hey, I know this is an impossible task, but is there any way? It's like, no, absolutely not. I've always found that if you're, if you're open and honest up front, like maybe it reduces the pipeline again at the top. Sure. But the amount of people that convert and stay loyal to to what you're building yeah. is so much greater and it leads to a lot less headache on both sides is how, how I expect it. So yeah. Well, there's something too that just like dismissing a lead like early on as well, right? Like how much time are you spending chasing something that ends up being a no if you can just at the very beginning yeah. uh, in an appropriate way, of course, distinguish, okay, this we're not going to do business together. I'm going to spend my time, my effort with these others who are more likely to do work together. Win fast, lose fast. Right. It's, it's, a, it's a good mantra. I think, too, the, the space is always improving and evolving, and our business practices are always improving as well. But in the past, it's been said, your main metric should not be sales. You're initially, right? Like, the long-term play is sales. The short-term play is these softer metrics, affinity, mm-hmm. growing your social followings, uh, positive sentiment, things like that. I always try to advise our industry that we we also need to see things from the brand's perspective as well. It can't just be, you should support my thing because I love it. It's like, well, the reason why they're spending these sponsorship dollars is because they're going to make more money if they spend them with you than if they don't, or if they spend them somewhere else. So how do you kind of tackle that you know, this is what you're getting out of a sponsorship. This is because it, 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 it feels nice and fluffy and good to say, yeah, in three years, <laughs> you'll be able to drive sales with this. And I would say, I'm going to be out of a job in three years if I'm not getting sales from the sponsorship. <laughs> so can you help me a little bit of like, what is that meeting in the middle of accurate expectations, but also giving the brand like what they're asking for, you know, the reason they're sponsoring? Yeah, I mean, ultimately, I I think that 
especially when you get to the contracting phase, right? Mm-hmm. That's when you establish what you have to do, right? Mm-hmm. We are, you know, based on your goals, we're going to get you X amount of impressions. We're going to do these kinds of content pieces, right? Yep. All that kind of stuff gets hammered in between like the initial proposal to the refined proposal to contract, yep. right? The way you do well by the brands goes back to something that I said earlier that's the mantra that our team abides by and that's under promise over deliver. When it yeah. comes to Geico as an example, they have specific metrics that we want to hit for them. But one of the th- reasons why we've been able to keep their business over the last six years is that by month eight, we've already exceeded those expectations. Wow. Right? Cool. And again, like that's that comes with being very realistic about what your capabilities are. That means sometimes you have to say no to brands that are offering you money because what they're asking and what you can do, they don't align at the Mm -hmm. end of the day. And again, I think that that's one of the things that separates a sponsor from a partner. When it's a sponsor, it's very much a one-sided relationship. You give me money and, and that's the end of it. Maybe I'll talk to you in nine to 10 months when it's renewal time. Right. Mm-hmm. When it's a partnership, you're mm-hmm. iterating together. Yeah. You're trying things constantly. You're sharing what works, what doesn't work. You're willing to explore what a potential pivot could look like from a strategy standpoint. Right. Yeah. That's the end game here. And that's why I say it's an education game mm-hmm. all the way through. Right. The relationship at first is you're educating these brands on, you know, wh- who you are, why the space you're in matters, why these yeah. games matter. But then there's also the education on the other side in regards to, who the brand is, why that may or may not be a good fit on our side. And then especially post-contract, it's teaching each other together, how do we work together? Mm -hmm. What are the plays that we make together that do really well by this community, et cetera? It has to be that dialogue constantly, in my opinion. Well, and I think when you have two groups of people who have a high willingness for both to be successful, right, is when this works. You have to, there's going to be times through this process where you have to pivot right you try something and if it's not working are you going to shout at each other and cancel the contract and all of these things or are you going to say hey you know what are other options here how can we adjust and deliver one of my favorite strategies with that is simply you know is a crawl walk run right which is hey let me try a little bit you get started by taking your first step and you kind of figure that out and then you identify oh this is really there's there's a lot of great metrics here that we're realizing. We're getting a lot of great results. Let's double down and go there. Is that a, a process you employ or something Absolutely. different? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And there have been, there's been money that we've left on the table because they want to run immediately. Mm. And at the end of the day, like we know for a fact that if we ran immediately and we produced an activation that was not reflective of our brand, and that's negative for both of us. Yeah. I think that there is tremendous power in being able to say no absolutely tremendous power. and you know that i mean as a consultant i'm sure you know that firsthand as well right right it's- absolutely i mean oh you say yes to everything there's you become something other than what you were intended to be agreed right i had a really uh, great experience with a design studio i was part of a while back and the owner did not have so much an idea of what he wanted the studio to be as much as it created it what he didn't want it to be. <laughs> and that was even more powerful because it, he essentially said, I don't want to be the owner of a company I'm not stoked on. I don't want to work on stuff that sucks to work yeah. on and just, I got to pay the bill so I got to take on this project. Now, not everybody has that luxury all the time, especially sure. when you're starting out, you're going to have to keep the lights on. Yeah. Right. But I think it is extremely smart to identify who are you, what do you want to do, and does this partnership or does this um, activation further my mission or help me live that, or is it a distraction? And yeah, it'd be nice to have those dollars today, but you know, am I staying true to myself? Am I staying true to my work? Exactly. I think that's what you're saying, right? Uh, yeah, absolutely. And then. Beyond that, there's there's so many different entities that's tied to it now, right? Yeah. Even when we're looking at like the circuit that we're building, I guess I, I can, can I plug the circuit now? Am you I, can. Cool. Yeah. Let's so do it. so uh, near the tail end of 
2022, Panda announced that it had established a partnership with Nintendo to be the first entity, gaming or otherwise, to create the first licensed circuit for Super Smash Brothers in North America. Yeah. Huge. You're stoked. You're a Super Smash player yourself. I mean, that's right? how I started. So, yeah. That's how I started. It was a player, then play-by-play compensator. And yeah. so, you know, joining Panda... To help on, on this has been a bit of a homecoming of sorts in that sense. But that's been very exciting because ultimately when we're designing that, when you talk about being able to do right by people, it's not just doing right by us as Panda, right? Mm-hmm. But it's also doing right by Nintendo, right. who's been you know gracious enough to trust us with one of, one of the most successful IPs in history, which yes. is a conglomerate of also some of the most successful IPs in history. Exactly. It's, it's doing right by the community that has propelled Panda to the point where we're able to take on tasks like this. Mm, And it's also doing right by an audience that I consider uninitiated, right? When Mm. we look at data from Smash.gg, it shows that 750,000 unique competitors went to a major tournament in the year 2019, which is huge from a numbers standpoint. It actually means that from a foot traffic perspective, it's among the most attended esports events per aggregate. Right. Wow. Yeah. And that doesn't include spectators. That doesn't include locals. Right. It's just major tournaments wow. in person. Yeah. And while that's an awesome number, uh-huh. I think about the fact that, you know, Smash Smash Ultimate is, you know, I'll have to double check the numbers again, but it's like 30 plus million sales. Right. Mm. For Ultimate alone. Sure. Yeah. And to me, like the exciting thing that I think about is, man, of the 40 million Nintendo Switches that are in the United States... Most of those owners, by a massive amount, yeah, have never gone to a Smash event before. Good so point. we have to do an event that's not just a great Smash event. It's not just a great esports event, right? Mm-hmm. We have to put on a circuit that is truly spectacle, that brings in people of all walks of life for the first time and gets yeah. them to understand why we care so much as well. I just so encourage people to attend because there, there's something about in-person like we can even us over here on the business side of things we can get distracted and sometimes forget the core reason of why we're doing it yeah which is people competing at the highest level in video games against each other right and boy people think oh you're it's it's boring or slow or whatever a live event rivals a hockey game (laughs) with the energy in there and i would just very much encourage anybody listening to this like go and especially with fighting games like i went to a league of legends event in houston the (laughs) spring final not too long ago and it was awesome i don't play league of legends now i understand like what's going on with the game but if you've never played or you don't have the first clue like it's hard to understand but with smash everybody's gonna know what's going on so like whether you're a father and your kid's super into it whether you heard about esports and like you're trying to learn or whether you've been doing it from day one um everybody needs to go exactly a great time exactly and i know i'm very biased i know i'm extremely biased here but especially when we're talking about smash and fighting games i mean this is a massive audience nielsen data shows that it's the most diverse audience in all of gaming and esports and also has the highest has gold income as well. Wow. Which is awesome. But paradoxically, because these are all grassroots communities, it's not logo soup yet. Which means that as a brand, if you're able to buy in early, yeah. the value that you get off of that is incredible. True. In addition to that brand affinity that Greater you get. Greater share of voice, because there's not as many exactly. voices in the room. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I, I know we got to wrap this up in a few minutes. I could talk to you forever. We've talked a lot about partnerships and brands specifically in this episode. If there's one thing that we haven't covered that you would want brands to hear, whether that's why Panda's awesome. We've talked quite a bit about that. <laughs> but Or if it's strategy or if it's something else, what would you want people to uh, come away from this episode knowing? For brands, do your due diligence. Mm-hmm. It doesn't hurt us at all. We, we're very upfront with what our numbers are. But yeah. any team that you're talking to, any entity that you're talking to, really do your due diligence. You know, mm. John brought it up earlier in the podcast, but like if you're just going by a, a, a Twitter follower account, you're, you're setting yourself up to make some really big mistakes. So the yeah. first thing, again, I'd say do your due diligence. What are some of the, so we talked about engagement, right? Mm-hmm. What are, when people are doing their due diligence, what are some of those things that they should be looking at? 
very vaguely, I'd say numbers that are not presented in the deck, right? Okay. If there, if a brand is saying, this is what our reach looks like, mm-hmm. you know, check that. See what, what, you know, on a tweet, how many likes do they get on a tweet, right? How many people are truly engaging with what they say mm. um, on their YouTube content, right? How uh, you can look at like the viewership and then contrast that with how many people are liking and commenting with other videos, for instance. That way, you know, is this just boosted? Because sure. there's plenty of groups out there that will just boost the views in order to hit the minimums that they've issued out by their sponsors because the organic buy-in from their community does not exist. Wow. Like, I'm serious. Just take the extra time. You know, it, it, it obviously is more work on your side. And I know that you, you'd want to assume that everybody is truthful. And there's a lot of great, amazing people Awesome teams in this space as Absolutely. well. Awesome organizations, but there's definitely some bad actors there. So I would make sure that you you verify as much as possible. Do that due diligence. If I had to give one more piece of advice to the brands, yeah, again, like especially if you're coming from uh, traditional sports, I know what's comfortable and what's easy is what you've done in traditional sports. I would challenge you to think a little bit more outside of the box here. Mm-hmm. Again, the 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 thing that people look at initially and why they're attracted is the fact that it's a younger audience, but don't let that take away from the fact that this is an engage is a highly engaged audience as well. Yeah, and so you're doing yourself a, a disservice if you're just concerned about the eyeballs mm-hmm. without imploring how you can take advantage of the fact that they are so engaged. Mm. Okay, is there one key you can give that you should do? Like, okay, traditional sports is doing this. Mm-hmm. One little tease or snippet of consider this. Hmm. Oh, that's really tough because again, it defer. It, it depends on the brand, right? Yeah, it, it's point. hard for me to say like this is a catch-all that every brand should do. Mm-hmm. I'd say that if there are ways that you can get the attendees specifically and make it so that any of your plays are targeted at more than just like the top point oh 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 one percent, right? That's massive, right? Mm-hmm. Because this is because if you if you look at like um, people that go to a basketball game. Yeah. Maybe not everybody has the confidence to 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 shoot hoops in front of everybody. Sure, but everybody that's at a gaming event is very welcome and eagerly looking forward to the next time they can play games. So yeah, you can they want to play that. themselves. Yeah. Exactly. Enable competitive experiences oh, yeah. for the fans. Yeah. To play, maybe with pros exactly. against each other unique experiences. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Right. You know, and, and and that goes again. Like maybe like if part of your deal with a team involves some kind of pro like see if you can take that next step and marry like you said john marry the opportunity to like meet the pro make it more than just a signing session give a fan a chance to play against their favorite player and the 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 content you'll get from that is incredible and what you can do from that is 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 beyond beyond comparison i think i think the last thing to piggyback on that which you teased there is always have a content strategy yes and optimize for mobile (laughs) <laughs> because everybody is going Everybody's to be watching these on their phones. Mm-hmm. That's perfect. How can people follow you and follow Panda in the ways that you would like them to? Sure thing. Um, you can find at Panda Global on pretty much every platform. Yep. Uh, you can find me at JVARG, J-V-A-R-G, 1990, on every platform, including LinkedIn. Yep. And if you need to learn more information about Panda beyond that, panda.gg. Perfect. All right. Well, man, tons of knowledge dropped in this episode, <laughs> just one after another. I so appreciate you joining me today on the DLC Drop Podcast. Thanks for having me. It's been a treat. My pleasure. Thank you for listening to the DLC Drop Podcast. This podcast is part of the Esports Futuri Podcast Network and produced by Innovation Media Enterprises. Make sure you subscribe on your favorite podcast channel and leave us a review. 